Well, good morning. If you have a Bible with you and want to turn to Daniel chapter 9, that's where we'll be this morning, Daniel chapter 9. You know, I think of the story of the eight individuals you saw on stage here, uh, and it's really the story of eight people who had to leave their homeland uh, because of decisions outside of themselves, of governments and powers and those in authority, and ultimately of God's sovereign hand. They left their homeland, and then they came to a new place where they have to learn a new language and a new culture and a new custom and, and try to figure out what it means for each of them to be faithful to God in this new context. And as powerful as this story is, one of the things that makes it even more special for those of us who know the Bible well is that those of us who know the scriptures well will know that this theme of being in your hometown, of being in the place where you live, and then being brought into an unfamiliar place where you're not sure the customs and the culture and the language, and God has you in a new place, and you try to figure out how to be faithful, is a deeply biblical theme. And that theme in the Bible has a name, and that name is exile. All throughout the scriptures, what we see are moments where people are brought into a new place, a new setting, a new circumstance or situation. And the question for them is the same question our Russian pastors and their families are asking now. How do we stay faithful to the Lord in the midst of exile? But here's what I want us to know. That this question is not just for people in the Bible or for our Russian pastors. It's actually a question all of us need to answer and all of us need to be asking as we step into a new year. Because child of God, let me remind you this morning that this world is not your home. That you have a heavenly home. You long for the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth that God will ultimately one day bring about. And your job is to figure out, just like all of these people in the Bible, just like these families from Russia, how you can stay faithful to the Lord in the midst of this exile. What we'll see this morning is the story of Daniel as we turn to Daniel chapter 9. The book of Daniel is all about exile. It begins with the people of God living in Jerusalem, living in Judah, the kingdom of Judah. The, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, the empire of, of Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, it destroys the entire city and the kingdom of Judah. And many are killed, but many are marched across the Arabian desert into exile in Babylon. That's where the story picks up in the book of Daniel. So the question running through the entire book of Daniel is the question we've been saying already this morning. How do you stay faithful to God when you are in a place that is not your home? And I think for all of us, as we go into this new year, as we begin to consider the year ahead of us, as we begin to consider all the noise that's about to happen as we step into 2024, an election year, and all the other things going on in this world, we, as followers of Jesus, get to ask the question, how do we stay faithful to the Lord in the midst of everything going on in this world? And that's what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 9 this morning. So if you have your Bible, we'll begin in verse 1. It'll be on the screen if you don't have one in front of you. It begins this way. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So let me give you the context here. We said that the book of Daniel begins with the Babylonian Empire marching into Jerusalem, destroying the city of Jerusalem, killing many of its inhabitants, but taking also many of its inhabitants, marching them across the desert into a place called Babylon. Most of Daniel in the beginning chapters is people learning how to live faithfully to the Lord in the midst of an unfamiliar place and a hostile circumstance and a situation that is not their home. Daniel is going to live through this, but then something remarkable happens in the middle of the book of Daniel. 
what happens is that the Babylonian Empire falls. Their king, Nebuchadnezzar, and his son ultimately fall. And a new empire is raised up, and we see that here in verse 9. It's the empire of Darius, who's a Mede by descent. So we have a new king, Darius, replacing King Nebuchadnezzar in his line. A new empire with the Babylonians following and the Medo-Persian Empire rising. And right in the midst of all of this transition, right in the midst of all of these changes, you have Daniel, who is still in exile and still asking this question, how do I stay faithful to the Lord in the midst of exile? So what we see here is a transition point. A transition point in world history and a transition point for Daniel's story. And what I want to make abundantly clear to you this morning, and really what this whole sermon will hinge upon is this simple truth, that transitions are opportunities to decide. Opportunities to decide. So what we see all throughout the scriptures is that God works, God works in transitions between one empire and another, one king and another, one generation and the next. God works and his spirit works in our lives in the midst of transitions. This is true in the scriptures, it's true in your own life as well. That when you move to a city or begin a new job or start a new venture in your life, it's an opportunity to decide how you're gonna live and how you'll stay faithful to God. I've seen this in my own life. I think back at some of the moments that have been transition moments where in these transitions, I've had the opportunity to decide a new path, a new course going forward. I remember for me, it was in 2018 as the calendar was even turning into 2019. I just turned 30 that year and as I turned 30, I looked at myself in the mirror and realized that things were not going very well at all. I looked at myself and realized I couldn't eat and live and sleep like I was a teenager. I had to start taking care of my body or things were gonna get very bad very fast. And so what I did is on January 1st of 2019, began to think about how I moved and ate and exercised, and that began a journey five years ago for me that actually started to shape and change because that transition, that new year, that me hitting a new decade was an opportunity to decide. I remember when my kids were born, something happened in me. I'd never been an early riser. I'd always been the kid in, in school and in college even who had just gotten up a few minutes before class and rushed in. I was a person who slept in. But then my children were born, and you'll know this very quickly, children do not exactly go well with the whole sleep-in routine. And so what happened was it was an opportunity for me to decide that I was going to be a morning person. And now in my home, I'm always the first one up, having a cup of coffee, spending time with the Lord. I, that opportunity to decide came in a transitional time. Or for me, this uh, tomorrow, Monday, uh, January 1st of 2024, I will recognize 20 years of a decision I made. On January 1st, 2004, I was a sophomore in high school. The new year had hit. I was on a retreat up at Lake Tahoe with my church youth group. We were up there at uh, our winter retreat, and I got out the next morning, was spending time with the Lord on a dock right over Lake Tahoe. And in that moment, the Lord just whispered to me that I should be the type of person who reads his word on a daily basis. I had tried that before. I had failed. I had done everything to try to make that a habit. But by God's grace, 20 years ago tomorrow, I began reading the Bible every day in my life. Why? Because transitions are an opportunity to decide what kind of life you want to live, what kind of person you want to be, and ultimately how you're going to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of this world. As the calendar changes to 2024 tomorrow, I want to give us as a church five decisions to make in the new year. Five decisions that we can make, five choices that each of us can make as we step into a new year and begin a new season of life. As the calendar turns over, five choices that we're going to see in the story of Daniel. I want to show you the first one here in verse 3. 
Daniel says this, so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So you see how this begins. There's a new king, there's a new empire, there's a new situation that Daniel's living in. And his first reaction, his first response to something new in his life is to go to the Lord in prayer. He pleads with him in prayer, he petitions him, he fasts, he's in sackcloth and ashes, he humbles himself before the Lord. See, this is the first decision that we are invited to make in this new year. As we read through Daniel's prayers, we consider what he has to say, and as he teaches us what the Lord is like, here's the first decision. As we step into 2024, it's that you would rediscover prayer and fasting. That you would rediscover prayer and fasting. I say rediscover because if your life is anything like mine, the last month or so has not been a quiet, contemplative month. Christmas is a wonderful time, and I love it in our culture. I just love everything that's going on, and Christmas is such an incredible time of year, and yet at the same time, the one thing it is not is quiet and still and slow. Perhaps your life is very different than mine, but for me, it's been fast-paced. It's been loud. It's been go, 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 and in the new year, one of the things I want to decide is I'm going to rediscover the beauty of prayer and fasting, rediscover what it means to slow down and listen to the Lord. See, when we do this, when we rediscover prayer and fasting, it does two things in our life, prayer and fasting. The first is this. Prayer turns up the volume on God. Prayer turns up the volume on God. And here's why this matters for you so much. Because in this next year, I don't know if you've prepared your heart for this yet, yet, but as we enter into an election year, it's about to get very loud, very fast. And voices will be screaming at you through your television, through your phone, and through every other medium possible that this is the most important election of our lifetime. The most important thing in the world is who gets the presidency, who gets the Senate, who gets the House, and everything that follows after that. The noise will be loud, it will be in your face, it will be screaming, and our job in prayer is to turn up the volume on God by going to him, because whatever anyone else has to say, what our God says is most important this next year, and prayer allows us to listen to that voice. That's what we do in 2024. We turn up the volume on God. We go to God. We allow God's voice to drown out all the other voices that will be screaming at us in the next year. But then prayer and fasting does something else as well. See, prayer turns up the volume on God. Fasting turns down the volume on the world. It turns down the volume on the world. It allows us to disconnect from so many of the things we think we need in the midst of this world. So many of the voices, so many of the things drawing at our attention, so many of the things that are sucking us in. Fasting allows us to turn the volume down on those things as we turn the volume up on God. See, fasting is one of these um, almost forgotten and sometimes neglected practices in the modern Western church. And yet all throughout church history, and certainly in the Bible, prayer and fasting are brought together as a way of connecting with God, as a way of deepening our relationship with him and increasing our hunger before the Lord. The simple observation I'll make about fasting is this, that Jesus fasted, and he assumed his followers would fast as well. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast, do the following. He assumes that that'll be a part of our life. And I understand for everyone here, fasting may look different. Maybe you have a medical condition or maybe some history with eating that doesn't allow you to do that, and you need to set that aside for a season. But perhaps for you, you can re-explore or discover what fasting means for a follower of Jesus in this new year. 
See, the real simple truth about fasting is this. Fasting is as simple as this. It is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It is that we abstain from food, maybe certain kinds of food, whether it be alcohol or meat or other different things, or all food for 24 or 36 or 48 hours or longer. But we go into a season of fasting and prayer to, it's because when we do so, it increases our hunger for God. What you'll find if you read the scriptures is that fasting is not some oddball thing that's found once or twice. It's woven all throughout the story of the people of God. And I want to encourage you in the new year to rediscover prayer and fasting, to turn the volume down on the, the world, and to turn the volume up on God. Daniel's going to continue on this way. In verse 4, he's going to say these words. It says, I prayed to the Lord my God. Let me just stop there for a second. I want to point out what he says about God. He doesn't say, I prayed to God. He doesn't just say, I prayed to the Lord God. He slips in a little word there that I think is significant for us this morning. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God. And what I want to speak to someone this morning is I think some of you have believed in God, that you know there's a God out there, you worship God out there, there's an idea that there's God, but at some point he has to shift from just a God who is out there to the Lord my God. The Lord, your God, the God you trust and the God you love and the God you worship and the God you delight in. At some point, it has to change in your life from simply believing in a God who is out there to receiving him as the Lord, your God. My hope for every one of you before you step into a new year is that you would trust in that God where you are today, that you would call upon his name in your seat or in your home today, and that you would trust in the Lord God to carry you through 2024, to hold your life in his hand, and to have your eternity secure in him. It is the Lord your God, the Lord my God. You can see how personal this is for Daniel. And it says he confesses, the Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who keep his commandments. So you can see here that there is a covenant of love that God has. A covenant means that God is a promise-keeping God. He has promised his people that he is going to be with them, he's going to sustain them, he's going to care for them. He is a covenant-keeping God, and he keeps it with who? With those who love him and keep his commandments. See, when the Bible talks about love for God, I want us to be abundantly clear. The evidence that you love God is not emotion. It's not how you feel. It's not that you came into a church service and you were singing and you felt something on the inside and that's the evidence that you love God. The evidence that you love God is not emotion. According to the Bible, the evidence that you love God is obedience. It's obedience. The evidence that I walk in faithfulness to this covenant-keeping God is that I keep his commandments. So this is the second invitation, the second decision that we can make in the new year. The, the first is that we would rediscover prayer and fasting. And the second is that we would run toward obedience. That we would run toward it. Not that we would walk toward it, not that we would consider it, not that we would think about it, not that we would read a book about obedience or discuss it in a group, but that we would run toward it. I have three young kids, and with my kids, many of you use the same language. I tell them that I want them to obey mom and dad all the way and right away. The point being that I don't want them to just obey, I want them to do it when we tell them to do it. It's not obey mom and dad once you're done with your show, or obey mom and dad once you feel like it. We want to obey all the way and right away. And why are we training our children to do this? We train our children to do this because that's the kind of disciples of Jesus we want them to be when they grow up. We want them to be people who obey God all the way and right away, who say, God, if you said it, 
I'm gonna do it because you're in charge and you love me. That's what we're called to do in this new year, to not walk toward but run toward obedience. Listen, I've talked about the two-step formula for spiritual growth, the two steps it takes for us to grow in our faith as we walk with the Lord. The two-step formula for spiritual growth is simply this. Number one, we listen to God. We hear what he has to say through his word, his spirit, and his people. And number two, we do what he says. That's it. That's the formula that we work over and over and over again throughout our lives. So many people think spiritual growth happens just through learning more information, discussing it more, reading another book, listening to another podcast, thinking it over a little more, but that's not how you grow as a Christian. You don't grow as a Christian when you think about things. You grow as a Christian when you listen to God and do what he says. So the question we should be asking as we step into a new season, as we transition into 2024, is simply this question. What step of obedience is God calling you to make or take in 2024? And that answer is gonna be different for each and every one of us. Perhaps there's areas you're obeying, but areas that God is calling you to step out and take steps of obedience in the new year. I can't speak for every person here nor claim to speak for what God has for your specific life, but I can suggest seven options that you might consider if you're not walking in obedience to what God has called you toward. Number one, can I suggest that for some of you, God is calling you like me as a sophomore in high school in 2004 to read your Bible daily. The God of the universe has something to say to you and he would be delighted nothing more than for you to hear what he has to say, to make Bible reading a regular part of your life you can use our Take 5, the resource we use of five-minute devotionals every morning. You can use a Bible reading plan. If you say, Brian, I don't know where to find a Bible reading plan, go to the Google machine, type in Bible reading plan. You will find 100 million for free. As you step into the new year, perhaps God is calling you to read your Bible daily. Maybe, maybe the second one is simply this. Maybe God is calling you um, to serve, um, I think I have here, to serve in the context of a church, to serve in ministry. Perhaps God is calling you to serve in ministry. Uh, I've met people over the years who said, hey, I'm gonna take a break from serving for a season. I'm gonna step back from serving in a ministry and just catch my breath, it's a busy season. And that little break they took, they intended it for it to just be a few months and now it's been 15 years and they haven't served anywhere. And if that's you, can I encourage you to take a step of obedience and faith and begin serving in a ministry here at this church in the new year. I want you to hear me clearly when I say the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God has amazing things going on right here at this church with men and women and children and students, and we have the opportunity to be a part of that. Not just those who are on staff, but God calls all of us in the church to use our gifts and talents and abilities to build up the church and to bless the world. Maybe God is calling you to serve in a ministry in the new year. Number three, can I suggest that perhaps God is calling you to forgive a family member? To forgive a family member. The scriptures are clear on this. It says to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Perhaps there's a wound you received from a family member 20 years ago and it's just been wrecking you. It's been sitting with you. It's been binding you for decades. Maybe that wound happened two weeks ago. Whatever the case may be, here's what you do when you forgive. You release a prisoner and you realize that prisoner was you. That you were the one being bound by the wound, by the wrong, by the transgression. I want to encourage you toward forgiveness, not because it's easy, but because it is good and it is liberating and perhaps in the new year, God is calling you to take that step to finally forgive that family member who wounded you. Number four, maybe God's calling you to start giving regularly. I want us to know that when we call for offering here, it's not just a nice thing we can do or something we do because we're excited about the church, that God has called us to be a people 
as Christians and followers of Jesus, to be a people who give regularly, generously, proportionally, sacrificially. This is not a suggestion. It's not maybe if you think about it or get around to it, throw some money, that we want to be a giving type of people, that giving is a step of obedience we take, a step of worship before the Lord. And if that's not been a part of your story up until this point, maybe 2024 is the year you start taking steps of obedience toward being a generous person, a generous family toward the work of the Lord. Number five, perhaps you need to join a small group. Now, I'm not convinced every person has to be in a small group proper, but I am convinced that every person who follows Jesus needs to do so in the context of other people. People, men and women and children and students who are around them. Maybe you've disconnected in the last few years. Maybe you're even watching online right now and you're not even sure you want to reconnect with people. And I wanna tell you this, that Jesus has not built us to do life alone, but rather with others. And so my encouragement to all of us is maybe in this next year, your step of obedience is to join a group, join a class, a Bible study, a small group to be a part of the people of God. Number six, maybe you need to confess an addiction. Maybe as we go into the new year, you need to tell your spouse about something. You need to tell your friend about something. You need to join one of these recovery ministries, substance recovery, that we're starting here in January. Perhaps that's what God has for you in this new year. And finally, number seven, perhaps as we go into the new year, you need to apologize to your spouse. Men, let me speak to you this morning. Perhaps you need to apologize to your wife before 2024 even gets here. Before you go to bed tonight, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church by laying down your pride and apologizing. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happened. I just know that as we love each other, we apologize. We own. We humble ourselves. Perhaps that's your step of obedience. Maybe God has something for you that's not on this list at all and the Holy Spirit is whispering to your heart right now. I'd encourage you to not ignore what the Holy Spirit is speaking right now and to take that step of obedience in the new year. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians 4. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I've never met a Christian who doesn't want the God of peace to be with them. I'm sure there's none of you who hope that next year is not a peaceful year for you. And yet what it says is the God of peace is with us. And what Paul says is what you need to do is you need to listen to God. You need to listen to the instruction that the Holy Spirit is bringing. And then you need to put it into practice. In other words, our faith only works when we put it into practice. You say, well, I'm bad at reading the Bible. Or I might not be good in that ministry. Or I might not actually be good at forgiving someone. Well, that's fine. That's what practice is for. It improves. Practice is what builds the ability for us to move forward in faith. I want to encourage you towards steps of obedience in the new year. In verse five, it says this. It says, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and we've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings and our princes and ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. And all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. See, I want you to notice what happens here in this paragraph. I pointed out in the verse just before this that, that Daniel refers to it as the Lord my God. He has this right relationship with God. That God is a personal God to him. He walks in right relationship with him. But Daniel doesn't leave it there. 
I want you to notice the shift of pronouns in this prayer. He's talking about the Lord, my God, and then in the paragraph we just read, you saw the underline on the screens, it's our sin, our issues. We have sinned, we have fallen short. All of Israel has done this. In other words, what Daniel recognizes is, yes, he has a personal and intimate relationship with God, but he's also part of something much bigger. And that part of something much bigger he is, is part of the covenant people of God, the family that God is forming and saving and shaping for all of eternity. And I want you to know, child of God, you are part of that same family, that family that God is building, that God is bringing together by the blood of his son, Jesus. We are sons and daughters of the most high God because God has brought us together and he's brought us together in a people that he calls the church. And so if the third decision for us to make this year is this, we rediscover prayer and fasting, we run toward obedience. Number three, we recommit to church. We recommit to gathering as a church, to making this a priority. People tell me all the time, church is more than a building. It's more than just what happens on Sundays. And amen, that's true. It may be more than that, but it's never less than that. God has called us to be together. He's called us to be a people who gather together as part of his church. You know, I've had people say, but Brian, I I can hear sermons through a podcast. I, I can listen to worship music and sing along in my car. I can do everything happening at church on my own. Why do I have to come to church? Well, here's something I'd have you consider. Um, I I think when it comes to private devotions, we can think of it this way. In private devotions, we're in the driver's seat. Meaning this morning when I got up with my cup of coffee and I did my devotion, I got to choose what I was reading in the Bible. No one else got to pick it. I, I got to choose what worship music I listened to. I got to choose what I prayed about. I got to choose how long it was. See, in private devotions, we're in the driver's seat. But something different happens when we gather as a church. In public worship, we are in the passenger seat. Meaning you came in here this morning and you may have had some preferences about what song we sang, but you didn't get to pick the songs this morning. You didn't get to pick what the sermon was about. And you certainly didn't get to pick how long the sermon was this morning. Right, you didn't get to make that choice. You aren't in control right now. And I need us all to know that there is something powerful and liberating that happens in our life when we are not in control. When we surrender that control before the Lord, God does a powerful work in our lives. See, in private devotions, I'm in full control. When I step into a public worship service, I am not in control and have to entrust myself and my life to Jesus. That's what we're invited to do when we gather as a church. Can you consider these five things that are true about every time our church gathers together? Number one, the local church invites us to think about things we wouldn't normally consider. In your private devotions, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the things you pray about, there are probably some things you're very comfortable with. But in this church, you're gonna gather sometimes and hear some things you wouldn't have thought about. Maybe you would prefer not to consider. Number two, the local church invites us to do things we wouldn't naturally do. To give and be generous, to serve those who are weak, to help people in this world and invites us outside of ourselves. Number three, the local church invites us to engage people who we'd otherwise avoid. I need you to know there are people in this church who don't look like you or talk like you or eat like you or dress like you or vote like you or think like you and yet the Lord has called us to rub shoulders with each other. People we would otherwise avoid. The local church invites us to abandon behaviors we prefer to keep. These behaviors that we would just kind of like to keep doing because we've always done it this way. And finally, the local church invites us to change when we would rather stay the same. So what happens in the local church is God does a new thing in us. He changes us and molds us and shifts us into the type of people he wants us to be, the type of people who are conformed into the image and likeness of his son. In this new year, 
would you recommit your life and your family toward being here on the weekends, to being part of our church services, toward being part of the local church. In verse 11, it says this, Therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken to us and against our rulers by bringing us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has been done like this that has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all of this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord does not hesitate, did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us. The Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, and yet we have not obeyed him. You'll see here there's this burden. And the burden is that the people of God have sinned against God. God loves them, God cares for them, God is in a covenant relationship with them, and yet they've sinned against him and there's been judgment and disaster brought upon them. And yet it says we have not sought the favor of the Lord by turning from our sins and giving attention to truth. In other words, the story of the people of God and Daniel is that the people of God said, forget you, God, we're gonna go our own direction, and they went this way. They ran away from God doing their own thing, going in their own direction. And what they're invited to do is to turn from their sin and run back to their God. And in the Bible, there's a word for turning from your sin and running back into the arms of the loving God. And that word is repentance. Repentance. The idea that we plant our foot in the ground, we turn from our sin, and we run into the arms of a God who has never stopped chasing after us and who will never give up on us. See, this is the fourth decision we can make as we go into the new year. We rediscover prayer and fasting. We run toward obedience. We recommit to church. Number four, we repent of our sin. You repent of your sin. You turn from the sin that has been going on in your life, the secret sin you've dragged through 2023, the thing that's been going on, the pattern, the habit, the issue, the behavior. You turn from that. And why do we do that? Because repentance leads to freedom. Repentance leads to freedom. We're freed from our sin. We're freed from the consequences of what happens inside of us when we sin. See, sin is this thing that always seems good on the front end. It always seems like it's no harm, no foul. Well, no one's being hurt by it. It's not a big deal. Everybody does it. We're just having a little bit of fun. Sin always seems like no big deal. It always tastes good going down. It's like this for Christmas. Someone got me a gift, and part of that gift was a huge jar of gumdrops. And now there's nothing you can say or do this morning that will convince me that gumdrops are not delicious. They're amazing. And so I had a gumdrop, and I thought that was really good, and so I had an, another gumdrop. And then 14 gumdrops in, I started thinking to myself, I should probably stop eating gumdrops, but I kept eating the gumdrops. And every gumdrop that I put into my mouth tasted amazing. It was such a joyful experience until about an hour later when the gumdrops were not sitting well inside of my body. See, the gumdrops were wrecking me because they, on the way down they tasted good, but inside of me it actually produced terrible fruit inside of me. The same thing happens with sin. Sin is that thing that seems good on the front end. It seems like it's so good, and yet ultimately it wrecks you and it ruins you. Why as a pastor do I stand here and call you to repent of your sin? It's not because I hate you. It's because I love you. And I know that sin is not adding to your life in any way, shape, or form. And the invitation for you is to turn from your sin. Listen, if you're walking in a secret or a hidden or a shameful sin right now, can I tell you this? Shame and regret will leave you in bondage. 
If you leave this place just feeling bad about yourself and gross about yourself and feeling awful about yourself, that will only push you deeper into the darkness and more into the slavery of sin. The only way you get free of your sin is to plant your foot in the ground, to turn from your sin and run into the arms of Jesus who has never given up on you. Repentance sets you free. Then I want you to see the final uh, verses that we'll see, the final invitation and the final um, decision we can make in this new year. Verse 15, it says, Now the Lord our God, who brought the people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made a name for yourself that endures to this day, we have sinned and we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem, your people, an object to scorn to those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look upon the favor of your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. So what happens here for Daniel is he knows he has a right relationship with God. He's turning from his sin. He's part of the people of God. But he has a burden that extends far beyond him or his people. And that burden is for the name and the renown of God. It is a burden that the people of this world would see the faithfulness and the kindness and the goodness and the love of his God. You can see this burden he wants people to see, even in this desolate city of Jerusalem, that God is faithful and God is good. And that burden Daniel shares that the world would know the goodness and the faithfulness, the kindness and the grace and the love and the mercy of God, that is the same burden we ought to share as the people of God and as followers of Jesus. So here's the fifth and final decision for the new year. We rediscover prayer and fasting. We run toward obedience. We recommit to church. We repent from our sin. And finally, we reach the lost. We reach out to a lost and hurting and broken world and we tell them of the goodness and the kindness and the mercy and the loving faithfulness of our God. That's what we get to do in this new year. As we step into a new year, we're invited to tell people about Jesus. And why do we tell people about Jesus? Why are we commanded to talk about Jesus? Why are we a people who want to constantly be bringing up the name of Jesus? It's simple. Because we talk about what we enjoy. We talk about what we enjoy. It's like this in this last year, a new pizza place opened in Thousand Oaks. And I had people all the time telling me about the pizza place. You gotta eat at the pizza place. You gotta go to the new pizza place. Have you tried the new pizza place? You're gonna love the new pizza place. It's gonna redefine pizza for a generation. You gotta be at the pizza place. You gotta, people are telling me about the pizza place. Now why are people telling me about the pizza place? Is it to shame me? Is it because they hate me? Is it because they just wanna like control my life and force pizza down my throat? No, it's really simple. They like the pizza, they enjoyed the pizza, the pizza's been a blessing to them, they want the pizza to be a blessing to me, and if me loving the pizza and they loving the pizza get together, we'll all love the pizza more. That's exactly what we do with Jesus. We love Jesus, he's a blessing to us, he's encouraged us, he's loved us, he's been merciful and faithful and good to us, and because we love Jesus, we want other people to know Jesus so we can all enjoy Jesus together. That's the invitation. We talk about what we enjoy. As we go into the new year, You don't have to convince or argue or be the best apologetics person. You don't have to shame or guilt or manipulate anyone. You talk about the one who is precious to your soul. His name is Jesus. Bring up his name in conversation and invite other people to enjoy the one you have loved so deeply. Again, these transitions, transitions are opportunities for us to decide. For us to decide what kind of people we're going to be. To decide what kind of faithful followers of Jesus will be in this world. 
We talked about five decisions to make in the new year. And again, I said, maybe two or three of these you're doing well. Maybe four. But maybe there's one you would consider afresh today that you would rediscover prayer and fasting in the new year. That you would run toward obedience in some way. That you would recommit to the church or repent of your sin or reach the lost. Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, I encourage you to not harden your heart, to not turn from it, to not push that away, but rather to receive that as God's path for you in this new year. And here's how Daniel ends and concludes for us this morning in verse 18. He says something really beautiful that I hope is true for you and an encouragement to you into 2018, or 2018, verse 18 into 2024. It says this, we do not make these requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. In other words, everything we've talked about this morning, all of the obedience, all of the faithfulness, all of the love and the mercy of God, none of this relationship we have with God happens because we're righteous. Daniel hits it right on the head. He says, it's not your righteousness, it's not your ability, it's not how much you show up to church or how much you give or how much you know your Bible. None of those things make you right before God. There is one thing that makes you right before God, and that is the mercy of God. You see, in every one of our lives, there's relationships we have, maybe even in your family, friends, people in church, where you're curious, are we, are we good? You look at someone and you wonder, are we in right relationship? Are, are, are we off? Are you mad at me? Am I mad at you? Are we in a good relationship? It can be stressful going through life, not being certain if you and family members are in a good relationship with one another. But what's stressful for eternity is you not being sure if you and God are in right relationship. And what I've said and what I want to repeat over and over again is that if you want to know if you have a right relationship with God, do not look down to your emotion and behavior. You may say, I don't feel close to God. That's not what determines your relationship with God. You might say, I misbehaved in 2023. That's not what determines your relationship with God. If you want to know if you have a right relationship with God, do not look down to your emotion and behavior. If you want to know if you have a right relationship with God, look back to Jesus' death and resurrection. That's where God shows his love for us, objectively, outside of ourselves, 2,000 years ago. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says these words, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Not your emotion, not your behavior, not your history, not your church attendance, not your Bible knowledge. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the story of Jesus that Jesus dies on the cross and goes into the grave and he bursts forth three days later showing that he has conquered sin, death, and hell so that you will as well. He ascends to the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, ruling and reigning over all things so that when we trust in him and believe him and call on his name, he becomes the savior of our life. He is the Lord of all things. And that is where we will end as we turn toward communion at the end of our service this year. As we close out 2023, I think there's nothing more appropriate than for us to remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That the reason we have a right relationship with God has nothing to do with any person in this room, myself or yourself included, but rather on the mercy and the kindness of God. As we take our communion elements here, we're reminded that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he broke that bread and he said, this is my body given for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I'm reminded that when I sin, I don't have to beat myself up because God already had, Jesus was beat up, God in flesh on the cross for our sake and for our salvation. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new relationship between human beings and God. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Poured out for the forgiveness of many. He says, do this in remembrance of me. 
Later on, the Apostle Paul will say, every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. This morning, we invite anyone who's a follower of Jesus to take communion with us. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us this morning. And if you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you right where you sit to call upon the name of the Lord, to be in a right relationship with him, and to take communion as a recognition of God's goodness and his love and his mercy in your life. So let's church, let's take and eat together. Let's take the bread and be reminded this is the body of Christ broken for you. And church, let's take this cup, the cup poured out for the forgiveness of sins, not just sins you've committed in 2023, but sins you will commit in 2024 and every year until Christ comes again in glory that has already been forgiven fully and finally on the cross by Jesus. Let's take and drink in remembrance of Christ. Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your unfailing kindness in our life. God, I thank you that we have a right relationship with you, not based on our performance or how well we've done or, or how much we've done religious things or showed up at church, but based on who you are and who you are alone. God, I pray as we go into 2024 that all of us would be right with you, that we would be saved, that we would know you, that we would trust you. And Father, I pray that each of us would make decisions as we go into a new year about how to stay faithful to you in the midst of everything going on in this world. So Father, I thank you for 2023 your faithfulness to this church, to our families, to our lives. And I pray as we go into 2024 that we would boldly set our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God, may we build our faith in him and may you show yourself once more to be faithful. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.